morning, everybody. <coughs> I want to thank Kael Zichren Amram for arranging this learning program and uh, <coughs> hosting me as a Chaver Kael throughout the year. It's a big schus, and it's a big schus that everybody comes out to learn, and uh, particularly somewhat of an esoteric sugya such as this. <coughs> so the name of this sugya in terms of Chayshim Mishpat is Asmachta. This is a sugya of Asmachta. And this sugya is really a very fundamental one in understanding how Chayshim Mishpat, how financial dealings work according to halacha, meaning that if you want something to be binding and you want something to work, you want it to be able to be enforceable according to halacha, the first generally the, the very first thing you have to ensure is that it is done properly and one of those things is that it should not be an asmachta and an asmachta is a form of a lack of, uh, of commitment that's really essentially what it means asmachta means that I'm assuming something's going to happen I'm not really committing should it not happen now let's begin with uh, it's something that and the Maramukhaimis, the Rambam made it clear, but it's important to understand this because this is the really the step one to understanding how you make a any kind of transaction that's conditional. Meaning to say, well, many transactions are able to have a condition. You can make a clause, you can make a tanai. A tanai is something that the Torah itself talks about, something we're going to be learning in the in Chumash not too long from now when the Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruben wanted to get their shear in Eretz Yisrael prior to everybody else, and they wanted to get their shear outside, so they made a tanai. They made a transaction. They exchanged their part in Eretz Yisrael for the part outside of Eretz Yisrael, and it was conditional that they fight the war uh, together with uh, Klal Yisrael. So the concept of making a condition is something which is biblical, and that's really the source. So you can make a condition. What then is the... What ex exactly is the difference when something is a condition which is enforceable versus when it's an asmachta and it's not, and it's not enforceable? So the, the difference is very basic. The difference is like this, that if you make a transaction, which the transaction is, takes place now, the transaction is, is uh, viable from this moment forward, but you just place the condition on the transaction that should something happen or should something not happen, it will retroactively be nullified, okay? So then that works because the Kenyan is right now. There is no delay in the Kenyan. The Kenyan that you're making is not dependent on anything for it in order for it to be able to begin. It begins right away. So you sold a house and the, ha the house sale is, is enforceable from, now, from this moment forward. But you made a condition that should the <clears throat> person, the, let's say, the, should the buyer... Um, within the first 30 days after buying the house uh, be, uh, be, be found guilty of a, a federal offense, so then the sale is off. Okay, so you could make a condition like that, and basically what will happen is, is that should he then do something that's uh, punishable by the federal court, so then retroactively the deal will be nullified. That's a tanai, and that's fine. That works. Tanai is okay. Tanai is a, is a halacha that we learn from the Torah. The, what an asmachta is, is the opposite. What you're doing is you're saying that I'm not doing any transaction now. I will make a transaction should something occur. So should you do this, at that point, then this transaction will happen. I'm promising you $1,000 that, 
if you do this, and you can do this with your own kid, you can make an asmachta and then say that I don't have to keep it. So, right, you say, if you do this, and this you learn very nicely, uh, I will give you $1,000, and you can write up a whole contract, right, and everything, and make 16 kinyanim, and then when it comes time for him to collect, you can tell him, asmachta lekanya, because the whole, the, 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 the only, anything that you said, anything you wanted to happen only happens after the condition is fulfilled. That's the Gemara's term is called the Ilaikana. Anytime you make a, a, any kind of Kenyan, any kind of transaction, any kind of deal, any kind of commitment, which only begins after a condition is fulfilled, it only happens, it only takes place, it's only enforceable after the condition will be fulfilled, after something happens, after a certain amount of, uh, after some, uh, something takes place, that is what's called an Asmachta and it's like that. Now, <clears throat> so uh, we'll, we'll hold a little bit on the questions. Let's try to get into it, and then we'll later on we'll take some more questions. <clears throat> now, I want to just give a few examples of how relevant this discussion is for transactions that we do all the time. Okay, so obviously the most basic is the Gemara that we're learning, that we started with, which is the concept of a down payment. The Gemara seems to say that every down payment is by definition an asmachta, and it should be, right? What is a down payment? A down payment is when you give money towards any, anything you want, like let's say you, towards uh, a house. You put on a down payment because you made a contract, so your down payment is your commitment to buy. When you, uh, you want to rent a hall for a chasana, you put down a down payment towards the rental. When you want to uh, hire someone, to, to do something for you, so he requires a down payment. And the concept is, is that if you back out, then you forfeit your down payment, right? Now, your down payment isn't actually creating any kind of Kenyan right now. The hall will only be rented at the date of the chasana. The house will only be sold when you sit down and you write the final uh, contract of sale. The person is, who's working for you, the work, the work agreement only begins when he actually starts working. So there's nothing that's happening uh, nothing has happened now. So you've made, you've put down a down payment, and the down payment is, the money you're giving is with a de, which means that if I back out, then this money is yours. That's what you did. You gave money, and you said, should I back out? So if something happens, so then this money becomes forfeit, and you get to keep the money. That's an asmachta. That's an asmachta, asmachta lekanya. You only gave him the money based on you doing something or not doing something in the future. So even if you do or don't do it, it's not enforceable. It shouldn't be enforceable according to halacha. So that's the most, the most uh, wide-ranging application of asmachta. And obviously, all of us who have had experience with giving down payments and losing the down payment, seems like that that's not what happens when it comes to practical application of this halacha, and we'll see why that is. Then another uh, common application of this issue of asmachta is when you make a penalty. So sometimes when you make a deal, there's no, down payment, there's no down payment, so there's no money put forward, but there's a penalty clause written in, which is that if you back out of this deal, you have to pay X amount of money. Very common in larger business deals. You may, or, or even in house sales, you write in penalty clauses. Penalty clause is also, by definition, an asmachta. It's all if something happens, if I do something, if I back out, if I, if I violate the penalty, I have to pay. That's an asmachta. It should not be enforceable according to halacha. Another, another com common ac uh, application of this is when you try to make a non-compete. So very 
typically when a person hires a, an employee and uh, the kind of business that you're running is one that it's not so difficult for an employee who's then been trained in by you and learned your whole business then go, on out his, uh, go out on his own and take all the knowledge he's gotten from you and the knowledge of the clients and the knowledge of the way the business runs and then open up on his own. So for example, if someone has a car leasing business um, <clears throat> and he's hiring an employee to go into sales, so the guy is going to learn the whole business, you'll train him in, he'll learn how, who, how to target people, how to advertise, how to get the base deal, uh, best deals, how to deal with the, the dealerships and etc. And then after a year or two that you've invested in him, he's going to leave and he's going to open up his own competing uh, car, car dealership to lease, uh, to lease cars. You don't want that to happen. So in, in order to hire him, you make him first sign a non-compete that he, should he leave the business, he can't compete with you. You either make it within a certain amount of time or you make it in a certain range. Now, a non-compete by definition is not halakhically enforceable and truly even secularly, most secular courts don't enforce it either. Because basically, what you're signing on the non-compete is that I won't do something. There's no way to enforce that. I'll be halacha. You could say, today till tomorrow, I'm not going to do something. There's no way to force someone not to do something. Now, if you want to make a non-compete halachically viable, what you do is, you make an asmachta, right? Which also has its problem. But that's what you would do. What you would do is you would write, if you should open up a competing business, you have to pay me X amount of money. You have to give me 50% of your profits. You have to pay me a penalty. So that would be a way that it's enforceable according to halacha. But of course, you run into this problem. How do you get around the issue of asmachta? Because again, we're saying, if I do something, if I open up a competing business, then I have to pay this penalty. So that's a problem of asmachta, which has to be dealt with, and you have to be able to go around it. I'm sorry? Uh, yeah, but you can't retroactively undo that employment, right? In other words, two, this is three years later, he already quit. <laughs> he already got paid for us. Right? So um, the, another, another application of this, which is actually more common than you think, but I'll, I'll just tell you a case. It was uh, a friend of mine <clears throat> who's a Chayshim Mishpadayan in Lakewood. Uh, he was talking about this case. So there's an aspect of this case that's a little shocking, but uh, the... the, the the core question is actually something that happens kind of often. Basically, two people went into a business deal. One was an investor, and he was investing in uh, a group of uh, a group of well, a business that was uh, in real a real estate business. So they needed a lot of money, a lot of capital to buy a building, to buy a number of buildings. And then their plan was, and they made a hetariska so that they could pay him twelve percent on his investment loan. So it was done according to halacha. So this guy invested a million dollars, and he was going to get paid back after X amount of years a million plus twelve percent. And uh, it was right before the two thousand and eight crash, and what they had thought would be that they would refinance and then they would make a lot of money and then the 2008 happened and they couldn't get any kind of mortgage so that all fell through. So basically they, at that point they were doing so badly that it was hard for them even to pay back the principal. So they went over to this guy, the investor, and they told him, listen, you know, we missed a couple of payments already. Here's what we'll do. We will change the terms of the loan of the investment and we're just going to pay you back principal. We're going to pay it back much quicker than we were supposed to. And so we're supposed to pay it over five years. We'll pay it up over a year. And at the end of the year, we'll just pay you back the principal and you will forgive all the interest. So the guy thought about it, and the guy said, fine. And they wrote up a document, and in the document he says that at the end of the year, I will forgive the remaining 12% of interest. They paid him up, and at the end of the year, they asked him to, be, you know, to sign a release from their mortgage, and he sent them a hazmana to Besdin. So they come to Besdin, and they say, what's going on? And he tells them that when I sign this uh, shtar, this, this document, that I'm going to forgive the rest, I 
before that, I made a maidah. I went over to, uh, to Adem, and I wrote a document that everything I'm going to do is null and void. I'm doing it under duress because I know these guys are not going to pay me at all otherwise. Now, this sounds kind of sly, and it was pretty emotionally charged, but you do have to realize that what those people were doing was wrong also. Right? They, were, they were forcing him to uh, relinquish, but they owed him because they were threatening not to pay at all. So it was kind of a, they were both uh, on even scale doing something wrong. But in any case, the, what was, what's relevant to us was that there was one discussion whether can, does that work to write a shtar maidah, to write that kind of uh, nullification in advance. That's one discussion, not our discussion. But the other discussion was, is that what he did was essentially an asmachta, and therefore it was null and void to, to, by definition. Meaning, he said that when you pay me back, I will forgive the rest of the 12%. That's the way it was warded on this, star, on this uh, document of Mechila, of uh, this forgiveness. He wrote that when you pay me back the principal, I will forgive the rest of the 12%. That, by definition, is an asmachta, and it's an asmachta actually that the Gemara talks about. It was something that was kind of common in those days. One way or another, they would have two, two ways to apply it. Either a person would say that if you pay me back X amount, I will forgive the rest. Or they would say, if you don't pay me back by X by a certain amount of time, whatever I paid you back already becomes a, a present and I have to pay you back in full. So you can do it either way. Either the, 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 the lender is losing or the borrower is losing. But it's essentially, again, it's an asmachta because you're just promising a future transaction, a mechila, a, uh, a, a, a nullification of a loan based on something that will happen, provided in this case they will pay up the full, uh, the, the, all the principal, and that again has this problem of asmachta, and perhaps then there's a problem of asmachta lekainis. These are all just common applications where we find in day to day business that asmachta plays a role. Now, one thing you might wonder is what happened to the concept of dina de machusadina generally. We do have a rule that uh, secular law takes precedence and Dina al-Mahusudina. Now, there's a number of things to know about Dina al-Mahusudina. One is, is that it's a tremendous machlaikis, exactly how far you go with Dina al-Mahusudina, what it is applied to, what does it not apply to. And in particular, when there is a transactional dispute in between two Jews and there's no criminal aspect to it at all. So the government has absolutely no interest in which way this transaction will turn out this way or that way. There's no public concern. There's just very private between two Jews. Many, many Paiskim hold you cannot apply the concept of Dina Machasudina, not as at least as a not not as it is, as it can be directly applied. We'll see soon there's maybe another way that it can be applied. But typically, you can't just say, this will be judged by, by secular law. They say, well, then what else do we have Chayshim Mishpat for? This is what it's for when it's between two Jews and it has absolutely no application, doesn't apply to the government at all, and the government doesn't care about the outcome. That's where you don't say, Dinam Chosidin. And the Chazanish says it specifically regarding this discussion of down payments and, and Asmachta. He says you can't apply Dinam Chosidin. Uh, in addition, what's also important to realize is that Dina Machusadina isn't always to the benefit of the people involved, because very often when they write up their transactions, they write up their documents, they didn't employ a uh, certified lawyer or someone competent and actually would not be enforceable in court. So they're better off going to Bayston. So there are times when Dina Machusadina doesn't even work to help you, because if you'd go to court, you'd lose anyway, for that reason or for any other reason. So. Putting Dina Machusadina aside, we're going to try to understand what is the story with Asmachta, why, when does it work, and when doesn't it work. 
Now, let's start first with a case that is not an asmachta, which it does work. So it'll give us a little bit of understanding why asmachta doesn't work and why, why it does. So the Gemara has a case. This is the very last Gemara. I don't know if you got there. The very last Gemara we had here. The Gemara has a case that asmachta does work. And that case is where you hired someone who's a sharecropper. So that means basically you hired him. Uh, he's working for you. He's going to plow your field. He's going to do whatever it is necessary to make things grow. And just the terms of the payment is not in cash. Rather, his payment is going to be with either a percentage of the crop that he produces, or different ways to set it up. But that's the idea. It's a really, it's a regular pile. He's a regular worker. He's, a, he's an employee. It's just the, the way you uh, set up the payments is a little different. And uh, he signs a contract with his employer. Because what happens if he just says, you know what, I'm just not going to work. I choose not to work. So he's causing considerable damage to his employer, because now the field has laid fallow for a whole year when they could have produced so much uh, revenue. And that's not something, if you were to do that, if you were just to go to sleep and not work, you couldn't just punish him because of hezek, because he's damaging you, because he caused you damages, because that would be a grama. That wouldn't, according to halacha, that's not punishable. It's the indirect action. You didn't break something of his, you just fail to do something. So that's not something that's punishable according to the halachas of hezek, of damages. But the guy signs a contract, and on the contract he writes, if I leave it empty, fallow, and I don't work, I have to pay you whatever this field could have possibly produced, which means you have to make an assessment, make a fair assessment of how much revenue he lost out, and therefore by not working, he makes himself liable to pay that. Now the Gemara says, that's an asmachta, right? If I don't work, I have to pay. That's an asmachta. Why should that be enforced? It only, ha- it, only, it only comes to term, it only becomes uh, a kinyan, it only becomes an uh, a, a, a obligation when you do or don't do something. So he could say, I, didn't th- I thought I was going to work, and then it turned out I, you know, I was too busy, I couldn't do it. So the Gemara says that Hassan biyadeh. And Rashi adds another thing. So these are the two, there are two things that are key to understanding why every asmachta does or doesn't work. One is that it's biyadai. It has to be something which is in your control. Over there, it was totally up to him. He could have chosen to work or not to work. It was only up to him. He didn't depend on anybody else. It was 100% his choice. He didn't need anybody else. He didn't have to buy merchandise from anybody else. He had everything he needed to be able to do his job. It's biyadai. When something is biyadai, so then num- that is the first condition that a person person will then can argue that it's an asmachta because it's 100% in my control. So then I have gemir das. I realize it's going to be up to me, and then I do make myself culpable should I not do it. Number two, which Rashi speaks out, really the Mishnah in the ninth parak as well, it can't be a guzma, which means the amount I'm obligating you to pay has to be a fair amount. It has to be what you call the damage you caused me. That's what I'm obligating you to pay. But well, let's say I would write that if you don't do this work, you have to pay a thousand times the value of whatever um, whatever profit you might have earned. That is an asmachta because it's, then it reverts back. The biyada is not important anymore because the amount that you're officially obligating you to pay. There's no way that a person really means to do that. Obviously, he thinks he's going to be able to do the work. Obviously, he was planning to do the, to, to plow the field, and then whatever reason it didn't happen, he never meant to obligate himself. So for an asmachta to work, for an asmachta not to be an asmachta, and this helps us understand a little bit what the, the nature of the problem of asmachta is, A, it has to be something that you can do, 100% you can do. It can't be, and you can't re- need anybody else's input at all. So it has to be 100% in your hands 
hands biyadai to do. So then we say, okay, it's not an asmachta. So then you are you are committing yourself and you do mean it because you know that you it's going to be up to you to do it or not. And number two, it has to be something that is a fair payout. Should you not do it, then we also assume you mean to actually or require yourself to pay should you not do it, but if it's going to be an unfair amount, then not. How is Guzma defined? Is a very, very good question. It's a very good question, but uh, uh, the Gemara's the case is a very clear Guzma, right? Gemara says a thousand versus uh, the value. So, the, when otherwise, obviously, you would have to go to Basin and they would have to make some kind of uh, an assessment. Now, this, uh, I just want to give you a very, there was a very common case, which is not so common anymore, but in the times of the Rishayim and probably up to a couple of hundred years ago, this was something which was a very common situation, a setup of an asmachta issue, which was by Shiduchim. Now, nowadays, when we sign a Tnoim, right, when you sit down by, either by uh, the engagement or you do it by the chuppah, like most of us do, you sign a Tnoim and you read off that thing, you have someone read it off, so if you pay attention, you actually translate the words, it doesn't actually say much. You're not really obligating yourself much. All it says is that you're obligating each other to get married, and usually do it right before the chuppah. So, hopefully, there's not, nothing's going to happen from then until you go under the chuppah. But that's not the way it used to be. A tanayim actually used to have quite a bite to it because they would get engaged, or they would um, even do the kedushin, and then they want didn't get really married for another year because either the chassan needed time to make some money to be able to support, or the colony needed time to prepare, whatever the reason was, there was a huge gap in between the engagement, Kedushin, and the chuppah, and they wanted to ensure that nobody backs out in the middle. So they would write up Tanayim that actually made serious penalties on either side who would back out. And this was gone. This is what everybody did. This is a given. So the Rishonim are now faced with this, and they say, why does that work? That should be a problem of a smachta. If I back out, I have to pay. That's, an, that's, that's a, 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 a very clear, and uh, you know, that's a boilerplate asmachta. Why would that be enforceable? So there are three approaches in the Rishonim why it should work. And each one of them is very, very relevant to the discussions that we're about to have. I'll start with the Rambam because he's interesting. The Rambam had, he says, Chachme Sfarad in, in the, the Spanish or in the other Sfaradi um, uh, countries, they had a very special way that they would um, construct the, these Tanoim so that they would be enforceable. The way they would, they would do it would be that each side would actually put down the money. So in other words, it was a $10,000 penalty. Each side gave each other $10,000. So you had $10,000, which you had to keep in a dedicated account, and I had your $10,000, which I kept in a dedicated account. And then what you wrote up was that should you uh, back out and should you break the shidduch, you are meichel me, right? You forgive me. You don't require me to pay it back. Because essentially, I, lo- I loaned it to you, right? That's what I did. I gave you $10,000. You're putting it in your bank account. It's now loaned to you. You owe me now $10,000. I gave, the other side gives to me. We each, each now owe each other $10,000. It's a loan. So now what we're doing is instead of saying that should each, any one of us break the condition I have to pay out of my pocket, instead what we're saying is I'm just going to forgive your loan to me and I'm going to still owe you, so ultimately I'm going to have to pay because I borrowed $10,000 from you and now it's, uh, and I forfeit my $10,000. The Rambam says, and this is the Rambam's Chiddush, which he learns from this Gemara here, that Mechila doesn't have a problem of Asmachta. 
That's the Rambam's opinion. That forgiving alone doesn't have a problem of asmachta. Asmachta, a person won't obligate himself to pay out of his pocket. He won't obligate himself to do something. But if the money is already in the other guy's pocket, and it's just a question of, do I, uh, am I going to collect it? Will I force you to pay me back? To relinquish rights, that's not an asmachta, and that isn't subject to the problem of asmachta like Kanya. That's Rambam Shita. It's Rambam's opinion. It comes from the, partially from this Gemara that we're learning here, and also from the fact that that was the minig among the Chach Mesvard. Why, so, why is this whole subject of Mechir even relevant if asmachta like Kanya? No, the opposite. So there is, there, I lent you $10,000. I lent you $10,000. The Rambam is explaining that by Mechila, you don't have the problem of Asmachta. Mechila, Asmachta is Kanya. When the, the, what's going to happen after you break the condition is that you're just going to be Michael. That, he says, is enforceable. Right? That's why they did it this way. So the reason why they set up the Tanoim in a way where the money was all given in advance was so that the, if you break the condition, it'll be a Mechila. And a Mechila is an enforceable Asmachta. That's the Rambam's approach. Tysus has another approach. Tysus says, one of his Tarutim, he says that this essentially is biyadik, right? Because nobody has to back out. It's 100% up to you whether you want to back out or you don't want to back out. But he says, you might as well say, it's a guzma though. I'm, I'm, I'm making you pay $10,000 for what? You didn't do anything, right? You didn't, you didn't cause me any damage. Tysus says, no, it's not true. You did cause me damage. Baishas, it's embarrassment. Embarrassment is damage. So therefore, it's not a guzma. So therefore, Tyson says, that's why it's not an asmachta. I can make you pay if you back out from a shidduch because that was 100% up to you. You didn't, have, uh, you didn't have to rely on anybody else. You could have chosen not to. You didn't have to come on to anybody. It was 100% biyadai. And it's not a guzma because embarrassment is something which, uh, which, is, uh, which is worth money. It has, it has a price. It's damage. You do have to pay for it. So that's Tysus's, uh, one, one of Tysus's approach. The third approach, and this is the one that's going to be the most interesting for us, is, he says, it's a satumsa. What's a satumsa? A satumsa means a, an agreed-upon method of kinyan, which means like this. The Torah gives us a number of ways that we could do kinyan. Okay, so the Torah, before we get to Megillus Rus, for example, if you just base it on what you see, psukim in the Torah, if you want to buy merchandise, not a house, you want to buy merchandise from someone else, there's only one way you can do it. Used to be you could give money. Chazal nullified that. You can't just give money. You have to do Mashiach. So you have to actually physically take the merchandise out of that person's possession and move it into your own for it to be a deal. Now, as time went on and where business deals became with much usual quantities of merchandise, which are often in different countries, that just became not a relevant way of doing business. So it was necessary for for Klal Yisrael to come up with a new method of Kenyan, and that's what happened in... Megillus Rus, the Zeis Melufanim Yisrael. They came up with a minig in Klai Yisrael to make a Kenyan of Chalipin. And Chalipin was a way that you could be kind of, uh, you could do a Kenyan on merchandise, on Metalfalim, without having to actually move, physically move the merchandise anywhere, and that was Kenyan Chalipin. Likewise, for as history progressed, there were different things that became accepted among, amongst merchants that they should be binding for the same reason, because there are the different kinyanim which the Torah gives us don't work for everything, and they're not always practical, and they're not always useful when we're trying to make business work, and therefore they came up with their own, uh, their own way of making a kinyan. 
uh, a handshake is considered an example of that. That in certain, in certain industries, when you take a handshake, that seals the deal. So that's called a sotumsa. Once it's become widespread, and it's accepted, and it's understood, that everybody knows that this is the way this business deal works, this is the way this transaction works, you make a handshake, and that seals the deal. That's referred to in Chazal as a sotumsa. Sotumsa is its own form of Kenyan. It can be in many, many different things. So Taisus says that this concept of Setumsa is not limited to what kind of Kenyan you make, but it also includes that certain transactions are enforceable because they became so widespread and accepted, therefore they are Setumsa. So Shiduchim was something that needed a way of enforcing. You had to, each would nobody would go into a Shidduch, no one would agree to go into a Shidduch unless they had some protection, and there was no protection that worked. You had this problem of a smachta. There was no way to protect yourself. There was no way to do it that it should be enforceable. Therefore, a Setumsa developed. Everybody agreed that from now on, this is the way we're going to do it. You back out from a Shidduch, you have to pay. Setumsa is Kanya. Setumsa is enforceable. Now this is a fascinating thing. We have to think about this a little because this is going to be the most relevant application to what we, the way we do business today. What, what this means essentially is, is that this is telling us two things, which are a chiddush. And this is likely, likely the reason why the other Rishonim didn't use this tarot, the first tarot of Taisus and the Rambam. They didn't like this tarot of Setumsa. The most serious issue with saying Setumsa is that Setumsa, what it means is, is we can come up with a new method of Kenyan, like they made up Chalipin uh, in order to supplant Mashiach. So you can come up with a new method of Kenyan. But there are other things, the Torah says that certain kind of things just don't work. Like, for example, you can't make a Kenyan on a Dovash Ailam, right? So if someone says that uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm planning on building a house, now you're going to all ask me that this, was do- this is done all the time. It's a good question. But someone says, I'm planning on building a house, and I'm selling you the house when it's built, right? So that's called the Dabashal Blailam. I'm selling something that doesn't exist. You can't sell something that doesn't exist. It doesn't work. No matter how much you scream and you say you want it, you can make 17,000 kinyanim. It's not going to work. It's just something that doesn't work. So asmachta by chazal determined is something which does not work. It's a form of kinyan which is not enforceable. If any time I make a kinyan and I want to commit myself, I want to obligate myself, I want to sell something based on a future event happening and only kinyan only happens after that future event, chazal said basically we equate that with it's just something you can't do. You can't make a kinyan like that. And therefore, if it would stand to reason that a Setumsa can't override that problem. Now, there, that happens to be a Machlechus. So the Rishonim the, that hold that Setumsa helps, that an agreed-upon uh, Kenyan between merchants, the, the, those that hold it works to override the problem of Setumsa, I'm sorry, of Asmachta, they hold it helps for Davosh Blalem as well. So they're the same, in other words, the same problem arose, meaning to say that people had this kind of transaction, like the example I'm giving you of a house. People wanted to be able to sell houses before they built it. That was the only way they could get revenue. That was the only way they could fund their building. And this was something that was becoming more normal. So they had to find a way to make that possible. Otherwise, business would falter. So they instituted a satumsa. That, that does work. That's now accepted. You can put down money and, on a double blow and it will work. So there, this seems to be the Machlech Shushan, whether it's Yitumsa, the fact that there's a necessity, and we all agree, and we all create our own form of Kenyan, can it override not just the lack of Kenyan, but can it override things that really the Torah says should not even work, like a Dabashal Blailam, and likewise a Smach. That's the Machlech Shushan here. Some Rishan hold that the Yitumsa can override all these problems, and others say, no, Yitumsa is not better than a regular Kenyan. A regular Kenyan can't get past these problems. Yitumsa can't 
either, and that's why they say these other Turutsim, which is that Baishes uh, is uh, the, not a guzma, the damages are, are, are of embarrassment, is something that's worthwhile paying for, or like the Rambam had this whole transactional well, set up where you change sides and it was just a question of mechila. So, now let's go back to our down payments, okay? So, <clears throat> down payments essentially is a Gemara, and the Gemara seems to say it's a problem of a smachta. You put down money to ensure a deal, the Gemara seems to say it's a problem of Asmachta, but the Gemara is talking about when it was a two-sided deal. I put down money, and the other guy also made a promise. They both made a promise. I said, if I back out, I lose my down payment. You said, if, you, if I back out, I will suffer a penalty. I have to pay you the value of the down payment besides returning your down payment double. Right? So it was a two-way deal. And the Gemara says it doesn't work because of Asmachta Lekanya. But it's not clear in the Gemara which part of it doesn't work. There's two parts to this deal. One part of the deal is that I, I forfeit my down payment. The other part of the deal is that I pay a penalty if I back out. Which part was the Gemara saying is a problem of Asmachta? Rashi says both parts are a problem of Asmachta. Both don't work. The Ramam says no. Why? The Rambam holds, like we mentioned before, that mechila, forgiving something, is not a problem of asmachta. So when I give you a down payment, and I say I'm going to forfeit my down payment, should I back out, or should I do something, I will forfeit it, that's just mechila. You have the money already, right? You just have to pay it back to me. So it's a mechila. A mechila doesn't have a problem of asmachta lakanya. So in many cases, when you pay a down payment, according to the Rambam, which is a sheet of brought down in Shulchan Aruch, if you have the money already, that won't be a problem of asmachta lakanya because all I'm doing is, is I'm forgiving you and I'm not requiring you to give it back to me. But that works for certain kinds of down payments, like when you down payment on a hall, a down payment on a, on a, uh, a job, etc., a band. But generally, when you put a down payment in a house transaction, it goes into an escrow account, which is often held by the attorney. So that is not in the possession of the seller. It's in the possession of the attorney. So there's no mechila going on over here. It's a picotin, right? It's just someone's holding money on your behalf. And in that situation, you don't have this, uh, th- this allowance of the Ramam that that would not be a, an asmachta. So in a typical house contract, right, where you sign a contract and you put down money to insure the contract, and that money goes into the possession of a lawyer, it goes into his escrow account, l'chaira, everybody will agree it's still a problem of asmachta. Rashi holds that even mechila, even forgiving, is considered an asmachta for him. Certainly it's going to be a problem of asmachta. But even the Rambam will also hold that it's a problem of asmachta because it's not a mechila. I'm not being michael anything. It's not you don't have it. The lawyer has it and he has to give it to whoever he wants. Mechila will only work. It's not, not biyada, Yeah, you have to have that too. But I'm saying mechila will. Well, I'm sorry. Very clear. Yes, it has to be tachasiyado. You have to have the money, right? So, if so, so the question is: so then, how do we go through with all these house transactions? How are they enforceable when they typically are given into the hands of a lawyer? And according to everybody, it should be an asmachta. So the answer, the only answer that that seems to work is Satumsa, which is that being that house transactions are a widespread, worldwide transactional feature that you put down a down payment and you are then held, you have to give up that down payment should you back out of the contract without, uh, without rights, without, with, uh, incorrectly. So it's a Satumsa, and uh, this is uh, Satumsa, according to this, Taras and Taisus overrides the problem of Asmachta. It's something we all agree upon, something we all, we all agree to, and therefore it works. And this is the minig of Batidinim. The, 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 
Batidinim, you know, uh, almost all, all, everywhere will enforce a contract as written because of this concept of Setumsa. There's another Svara they call it Minigam Meichrim. It's the same words, they mean the same thing. And even though essentially it really should be an Asmachta, it will be enforceable. But here's the key it only works. Setumsa only works for something which is boilerplate, for something which is standard. Like a house sale is a very standardized transaction. This is the way everybody does it. This is the way it works. You put down a down payment. The down payment is punishable if you back out. So therefore, we can say there's, an asma- there's a setumsa which overrides the problem of asmachta. However, you can't apply that to when two people make their own, you know, mom and pop deal, like we were saying before, when that guy uh, said, okay, you know what, you, um, you pay me back the principal, and then I'll forgive the interest. There's no satumsa on that, because that's a very specific, unique deal that I made with you. So if the kind of deal that you're making is not a boilerplate standard deal, it's not a deal that's done all over the world, all over the country, on, in a certain fashion, with certain enforceable rules, so then you don't have this application of the concept of uh, Setumsa, because there isn't, any, there isn't any agreed upon way to approach it. And therefore, you would have to then go back to the halachas of Asmachta, and if it is a problem of Asmachta, it would be like Hanya. It wouldn't be enforceable. Now, <clears throat> going back to our Mechila case, right, the guy who f- said, I'll forgive you the 12% interest should you not pay. Now, technically, according to the Rambam, that should work, right? Because he's just forgiving. He's not saying, I'm going to give you money. He's just forgiving a, uh, a loan. And that should be enforceable according to Asmachta. Now, the way it works, though, is the Machlaik is in Shulchan Aruch, right? So there's two opinions in Shulchan Aruch. Rashi says you, that doesn't work. It's still an Asmachta. Forgiving something is also a problem of Asmachta. The Rambam says it does work. What happens when you have a Machlaik in Shulchan Aruch, right? What happens when you have such a machlekes? Generally, it's Hamaisim Mechver Alavarai, right? I always wonder in Chayish Mishpah, why, why does anybody even bother arguing? <laughs> yeah, it's anyway, you're not going to accomplish anything by arguing. It's anyway going to be Hamaisim Mechver Alavarai, right? Whatever, whatever, whenever there's anything that's a question in Chayish Mishpah, it's going to end up being whoever has the money, you can't extract it from them, right? So technically, what should have happened over here is that according to the Rambam, his uh, mechila is enforceable. So when he said that if you pay me back the principal, I'll forgive the 12%, it's a mechila. A mechila is not an asmachta. It is enforceable. He could say, what do you mean? I hold like Rashi that there's smachta like Kanya when it comes to forgiving. And the other guy could say, well, I hold like the Rambam, so I'm going to hold your money. That's called kimli. Person can say kimli. Say, this is a two, sheet, two opinions in Shulchan Aruch, and I'll take the one that benefits me. Uh, I have the money. You have to get it from me, I'll take it, and uh, Kimli, like that opinion, that holds that you can't get it from me, and therefore it should not be enforceable. However, however, there is, um, there, it's not so simple when you have a star who is called the Muxik. So over here, this guy has his original... Um, yeah, he has his original mortgage, uh, which is enforceable, the mortgage document, which is enforceable, it's enforceable in court, um, and it's considered the, the real binding document. It becomes a little bit more complicated who exactly is, uh, is considered the most. And in addition, there's another problem over here, is that he can also say that the money I took, I didn't take it as principal, I took it as a payment for the interest, whatever. There's different ways that it's, it becomes a little bit more complex who exactly is the muxik. So it's not always so simple to apply. But it's 
essentially, that would be the correct way to start looking at this Shiloh. Now, the question is like this. The question is like, you're sitting down now, you're making a non-boilerplate kind of contract. You're making a deal with someone, and you want to put in a penalty clause, you want to protect yourself, you want to do whatever it is necessary to make this go through, and otherwise, nobody's sitting down, nobody's doing the deal. What do you do? So how do you do it in a way that will get around the problem of asmachta? So what you do is, you employ the services of someone who who does this kind of thing, who knows halacha, understands what's necessary, how to write a shtar in a proper way to go around the problem, because Chazal gave us certain ways to get around the problem. There is a concept called the Bezden Chashuv, and, uh, and, and, and a, a, there's a way to uh, write a shtar that it has, that you write in the shtar that it has been, um, it has been written and been executed by a Bezdin Chashev, a, comp- a competent Bezdin, who understands the concept of Asmachta. That's one, way, one thing you have to put in which gives it a certain level of validity. And then another thing you can write in is Me'achshav. Me'achshav means that you have whatever monies are supposed to transfer are considered as if they transferred already from now. Again, it's somewhat of a legal loophole because there's nothing you can actually do with that money retroactively. But again, it's a question of writing it and performing it in a certain method. So you write into the star that you want it to be, that it's written by Bezdin Chashev. You write it, and it has to actually have been performed by Bezdin Chashev. So you have to have a competent dayan who's writing the star up for you. So it's been done by Bezdin Chashev. And then you also write in that it's being done by Achshav as necessary depending on the case. And then you also write in, a third thing you have to write in, is that the, the dying will write in that the, 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 I forgot the exact language, but basically what you're writing in is that both sides relinquish their right to say Kimli. That's important because you can always find an opinion that holds this doesn't work. So you have to have both people, when they're signing the contract, that they're relinquishing their right to find a shita somewhere in Chayshem Mishpat that will absolve them from their obligations. So once you do all those things, so then most kinds of shtaris are enforceable. And that's why it's important that when you write a shtar that runs into, when you're making a business deal that runs in, that could and more often than not, will run into these kind of complications of asmachta. You should seek the advice of a competent dain. You'll find online actually a number of batidinim offer offer this service. They'll review your your star for you, and they will tell you what to do in order to make it that it's enforceable al pihalacha. Because again, should the guy take you to Bastin, the likelihood is they won't say dina the machosadina. They will go, go according to the halachas of uh, of chayshem So that's that's an important thing to understand. That should be the takeaway lesson of uh, of, of, of 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 this uh, of this shear. Hey, go ahead. I'll take questions. Yeah. Um, so, so can you um, can you require metalpolin in this way as well? With a stumsa. No, no, Satumsa works. Like, uh, for example, the most famous example they like to give is uh, when in the diamond industry there is like a, there's a sentence they say when they finish the deal, they say Shalom Mubracha, at least on 47th Street. So, and that's considered a Satumsa, and that's considered binding. You can't back out anymore. Nothing has changed hands, haven't done anything, right? It's basically a handshake of, of sorts. So, yes, Satumsa works even for metathlon. Okay, and that's the but the general, so as, as I'm hearing it, there's a difference between a condition precedent and a condition subsequent. Right. The Aksha makes it a condition subsequent, right. which makes it enforceable right. for the moment. It can't be a Guzma, it can't be... Right. Um, uh, Correct. It's got to satisfy all those things. And that applies also.
would that principle also apply to Mattel twin versus? Yes, you can. You, is, uh, you would have to again. You would have to make sure. Asmachta isn't the only thing you have to take into concern. You would have to also ensure that the Kenyan was done properly, right? The method of transaction was done in the right way. But yes, essentially, yeah, that would that would, that would help it. That would make it work. Go ahead. What? So again, non-competes tend to be very, very specific, and non-competes are not, like I said, are often not enforceable according to law. So it's hard to say it's a satumsa. When yeah. we start, start using kinyanum that are not part of a Baba Basra, right. because it's convenient or it's Yidon Bakutza, isn't there a bigger problem here because the certain sense the secular law is going to undo the Torah law of uh, kinyanum? Well, it's very rare that that's the case. Meaning to say, generally, whatever Satumsa we have is based on what is the secular law, almost always. It's very rare that the case is that, uh, that, 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 um, you know, you'll, ha- you'll be doing something that secular law also doesn't recognize. No, secular recognize. Oh, you're law saying we're, 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 what's happening to the Torah, you mean? Well, the Torah gives us this, uh, they give us the ability to do this. So the Torah gives us the right to make a satumsa. So you're not going against the Torah. You're using a, uh, a, 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 an option the Torah gave us. The question is, is it going to get to a point where we forget what the Torah law is? Well, I don't know. That's an Ashkafa question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go ahead. The wine okay at the end of the packet. Yeah. By the wine, um, the wine to yes. Kenyan, um, the Rashi seems to say there that, um, that there was no Kenyan specifically. That's why there was no Kenyan there. Uh, I was kind of wondering. Kenyan doesn't help you get out of the problem. No. And actually, if you don't have a Kenyan that is worse than an Asmachta, you have nothing that, that is uh, obligating you at all. Which words are you looking at? Second one, a part of the village. I don't know. You're going to have to, we'll have to talk they're forced to continue the, the part that's not the, last part, the ability to get out. Right. They're, they're obligated to, with, to No, so Rashi, Ra, what Rashi is doing, Rashi is talking about a little bit of a different setup. We do, don't typically have it this way, but in those days when he gave the down payment, it actually completed the transaction for the amount of the down payment. So let's say you were buying $1,000 worth of merchandise and you put down $200. It was actually there to buy the $200 worth of merchandise. Now, we don't do that anymore. But that's why over here, if all your, all your conditions fell apart, but that much is still enforceable because I did pay for $200 worth of the merchandise, so that I can still, that you still have to go through with. Nowadays, we don't do that. Like, even when we put down a down payment on the house, it's not meant to do anything, any part of the transaction until we, can, until we write the actual contract, you know, in a few months from now. So we don't we don't do it that way anymore. He doesn't get involved in that part, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't get involved with that aspect of it. It's a little bit, it has to do with what happened before in the Gemara, I think. It's not so much the, not relevant to the discussion of Asmachta so much. Just a, it, was, it was more like what, the, what was the typical transaction. Uh, the, the way that I had understood Asmachta was that um, originally that the, the low Kenya low meant that everybody, that there is no transaction to Correct, be, everybody walks away. So right. here it, was, it seemed like the opposite. It's not that everybody walks away, it's that nobody's allowed to walk away. That well, again, from part of it, it works. Yeah, that's the part. Okay, everybody. Thank you for coming.